Welcome to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums that testify of Christ's teachings, His life, ministry, and mission, and His sacred atonement. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. This devotional address, entitled, And Jesus Increased in Wisdom and Stature and in Favor with God and Man, was given on February 11, 1992, by L. Tom Perry, then a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Just a little over a month ago that we celebrated the glorious Christmas season. We were being filled with the greatest of all messages that of the birth of our Lord and Savior. Little is written of his life from the time Joseph, Mary, and their wondrous son returned from Egypt until he began his earthly ministry almost 30 years later. Of the two accounts of the birth and the early life of the Savior, Matthew lets us know of his return from Egypt to Nazareth. But Matthew's next entry is the account of the baptism by John. Luke gives us one brief account of this early period of his life. Luke records, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Luke also gives us one brief account of their annual visit to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover when the Savior was 12 years of age. This story tells us of when Mary and Joseph started to return to their homes and discovered that the Savior was not with them, and they had to return to Jerusalem to find Him. After three days they found Him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Luke records that all who heard Him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. The scripture then records, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Then this important statement, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Using these attributes which describe the Savior as he grew to manhood seems to be a good measure for your progress at this special time in your lives. When the scriptures record that Jesus increased in stature, he was perfecting his physical body to house his eternal spirit. The physical body is something special to be cared for, watched over, and nourished. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, said this, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. From the very beginning, the Lord emphasized the importance of this mortal experience of having body and soul associated together. The prophet Joseph Smith instructed us in these words, 
The first steps in the salvation of man is the law of eternal and self-existent principles. Spirits are eternal. At the first organization in heaven, we were all present, and the Savior chosen and appointed, and the plan of salvation made, and we sanctioned it. We came to this earth that we might have a body and present it pure before God in the celestial kingdom. The great principle of happiness consists of having a body. Recognizing the privilege of presently having body and the spirit associated together, let us examine the other three attributes associated with the Savior's early development. He increased in wisdom. Our heads are housing for our marvelous brains. There has not been a computer developed which comes close to the input, output, and storage capacity centralized in the housing of our heads. Our ears, the eyes, the nose, as input devices, can absorb information totally without a keyboard, optical reader, or any other type of equipment, and record it almost un in un unlimited capacity stored in our brains. The information so stored can be retrieved almost instantaneously without a complicated set of directions as output in the form of speech, facial expressions, or movement. Sometimes I wish, however, that the process was a little more complicated when we're in presence of some of those people who are built without an off switch in their makeup. <laughs> Every one of us has been blessed with these marvelous instruments that sit on top of our shoulders. How we use our heads is up to each of us to determine. I have a wife who has a temperature comfort zone which has a, such a narrow limit that a room temperature between 74.75 and 75.25 degrees, she is uncomfortable. I'm afraid that many of us have the same narrow focus when we use our heads. We want to limit its use to a narrowly defined comfort zone. We arrive for our university training having lived in a comfort zone without proper preparation for what we want to accomplish with our education. Precious time is wasted making decisions on the course we should follow. The first time we bump up to a, against a difficult class in our selected major, which is out of our comfort zone, we discard the time, the effort, the money expended, and change majors and start all over again. We note that a C is a passing grade. Such a great grade fits into our comfort zone and will supply us with the same blue and white diploma when we graduate as the A and B students. Thus we miss the thrill of testing our enormous capacity by using our special brains that we've been blessed with. The work ethic seems to be a foreign concept to many people. We don't work as hard or as long as we should. Too many of us in this day and age wear bumper stickers on our cars that read, I'm in no hurry, I'm only on my way to school. In these marvelous brains we have, we need to input a basic set of instructions which will keep us on course. It is a set of values or standards which, if followed, 
will guide us to our ultimate des destination. There's a great story in the scriptures which illustrates how the Lord feels about us having the input of these basic instructions into our programs for successful living in order that we may be able to determine right from wrong. The account is contained in the opening chapters of the Book of Mormon when it tells of a story, uh, tells a story of a family who lived comfortably in Jerusalem. And to get out of their comfort zone, they had to move in order to grow and progress. In fact, to save their lives. The scriptures record, And it came to pass that the Lord commanded my father, even in a dream, that he should take his family and depart into the wilderness. And it came to pass that he was obedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord did as, therefore he did as the Lord commanded him. So Lehi took his family, leaving their comfortable homes, and departed into the wilderness. I often wonder if that had happened in our home. I think I'd ran to the telephone and dialed 911 to see if my father was ill. They had only gone a short distance when the record records. And it came to pass that he spake unto me, saying, Behold, I have dreamed a dream in which the Lord hath commanded me that thou and thy brethren shall return to Jerusalem. For behold, Laban hath the record of the Jews and also the genealogy of my forefathers, and they are engraven upon plates of grass, brass. Therefore the Lord hath commanded me that thou and thy brethren should return to the house of Laban and seek the record and bring it down hither into the wilderness. When Levi approached his sons with this great responsibility of returning and asking for the record, they thought it was a hard thing he'd asked them to do. But Nephi stepped forward and said, I will go and do the thing which the Lord hath commanded. For I know the Lord giveth no commandment unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them, that may, they may accomplish the thing which he hath commanded him, them. Thus the sons of Lehi set out to obtain the scriptures, that they might have them as they accompanied, to accompany them as they proceeded into the wilderness. They made three efforts to obtain the record. First, they just decided to leave it to chance, cast lots as to see who would go to the house of Laban. The lot fell to Laman. He went back to the house of Laban, talked with him. And as they sat in the house, he told them he desired to have the record contained on the plates of brass. This angered Laban that he would ask of such a thing. And he told Laman, Behold, thou art a robber, and I will slay thee. That was enough for Laman. He fled out of the presence of Laban and came back sorrowfully to his brethren. Leaving the events to chance did not produce the desired result. They were about to return to the wilderness when Nephi had another idea. Rather than going back in failure, why not go back to our house, to the land of our father's inheritance? For we have much gold and silver there and all manners of riches. Let us go and see if we can buy the record from Laban. So they returned to Laban and offered to purchase the record. Laban was a worldly man seeing all the gold and silver coveted it. And he looked at the four boys and all of his servants and knew he could have both. 
he could have the record and the gold and silver. So he sent his servants after them, and again they had to flee, and they were obliged to leave their property behind, and it fell in the hands of Laban. Things of the world did not produce the record. Now when they tried to regroup and think about their responsibilities again, it was hard for Nephi to convince his brothers to again return the third time. He reasoned with them this way, Let us go up again to Jerusalem. Let us be faithful in keeping the commandments of the Lord. For behold, he is mightier than all the earth. Then why not mightier than Laban and his fifty, yea, or even his tens of thousands? Of course, if they would go by faith, trusting in the Lord, he would deliver the record into their hands if he wanted them to have it. As Nephi obtains the record, he learns this great lesson, for he was instructed. It is better that one man should perish than a whole nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. And now when I, Nephi, had heard these words, I remembered the words of the Lord, which he spake unto me saying, in the wilderness, saying, that inasmuch as thy seed shall keep my commandments, they shall prosper in the land of promise. Yea, and I also thought that they could not keep the commandments of the Lord according to the law of Moses, save they should have the law. And I also knew that the law was engraven upon the plates of brass. Thus fundamental to this group proceeding into the wilderness was that they have the law of the Lord as a foundation for their growth and development in order that they would know good from evil, right from wrong, and be able to establish their lives on sound gospel principles. The first challenge I leave with you today is to learn to appreciate the power and potential of your heads. Get out of your comfort zone. Expand your visions. Experience the satisfaction which comes from real earned accomplishment. Use the foundation of the scriptures in your lives to lead and guide and direct you on the right course. Next, the scriptures record that Jesus increased in favor with man. The real joy in living is found when one turns his life from centered in self to one centered in service. James tells us, pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. In short, James tells us that true religion is devotion to God, demonstrated by love and compassion for our fellow men, coupled with unworldliness. Such a statement almost seems too simple to be significant. But in its simplicity, it speaks an important truth. Restated, it may be said that true religion consists not only of refraining from evil, that is, remaining unspotted, but in deliberately and purposefully doing acts of kindness and service to others. King Benjamin recognized this principle. As he spoke to the people from the tower, he reminded them that he spent his days in their service and said, I do not desire to boast, for I have only been in the service of God. 
And behold, I tell you these things, that ye may learn wisdom, that ye may learn that when ye are in the service of your fellow beings, ye are only in the service of your God. The book of Matthew puts it this way, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. The life of the prophet Joseph Smith portray, portrays the same attributes, service to friends, to his fellow men, to all mankind, and to his God. I have always been impressed in the history of the church how crisis or hard times seems to bring us closer together and brings about more compassionate service and an extra amount of teamwork. It is too bad that this same spirit of te teamwork does not always exist. It was demonstrated to me in a most interesting way when I was thrown into a situation upon returning from my mission, and it taught me the real value of teamwork. World War II was raging, and I just joined the Marine Corps to fulfill my service obligation. As a part of our training, we had forced marches. Loaded with packs on our backs and a rifle over our shoulder, off we'd go on a little five or ten mile hike over the hot terrain of Southern California. Following the long columns of Marines' platoons would be a Red Cross truck to pick up those who could not make it. To have one of your platoon members picked up by the Red Cross truck was such a disgrace, it was worse than anything you could possibly imagine. If one of your number was failing, you would share by carrying his pack or his rifle. If he was still failing, two others would share their packs or their rifles with other members who were willing to carry them along with their own. And they would literally carry the failing buddy to help him to the end of the hike. The teamwork created was a bonding that was difficult to describe. It was exciting to anticipate what would happen here if that same teamwork could be developed. To declare that no one in our apartment, no one in our quorum, no one in our Relief Society, or no one in our ward is going to fail while they're here as students at Brigham Young University, either scholastically, emotionally, physically, or spiritually. The second challenge I issue to you today is to develop a heart big enough to show real compassion for all of your fellow men. Now next, and Jesus increased in favor with God. The bowing of the knee is a symbol of devotion, of humility, solemn prayer, and obedience. From the Doctrine and Covenants we read, And this shall be the sound of his trump, saying to all people, both in heaven and in earth, and all that are under the earth. For every ear shall hear, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess, while they shall hear the sound of the trumpet, saying, Fear God, and give glory to him who sitteth upon the throne forever and ever, for his judgment is come. President Kimball has taught us that the knowledge of our Heavenly Father wants each of us to have is the power and personal witness that he hears and answers our prayers. He has said this, I have always had a very tender feeling about prayer, 
and the power and blessing of prayer. For I thank our Heavenly Father, my dear parents and teachers, who taught me by word and by example righteous and heartfelt prayer. I am sure if each of us pray fervently and righteously, individually and as families, when we retire at night, when we arise in the morning, and when we are around our tables at mealtime, we will not only be knit together as loved ones, but we will grow spiritually through communion with our Heavenly Father. Each of us have so much need of His help to strive to learn gospel truths and live them. We should be seeking His help in our major decisions of our lives, decisions involving schooling, marriage, employment, places of residence, raising of our families, serving each other in the work of the Lord, and seeking His forgiveness and continual guidance and protection. Our list of needs is long, real, and heartfelt. The bowing of the knee is also a sign of obedience to the will of the Lord. Willing, righteous obedience leads to a celestial life. Indeed, there is no eternal progress without it. Yet obedience to the commandments of God seems to be one of man's most difficult challenges. Some people do not obey because they feel that their free agency is being trampled upon if, they're, if they consider themselves subservient to church authority. Others willfully choose an existence of being contrary to the nature of happiness. Still others produce an undisciplined life, persist in their weakness, and they justify their course of action, struggling and saying, that's just the way I am. You've heard this before, and again I repeat the word of warning to those who will willingly be disobedient to the code of honor you've agreed to when you accepted attendance here at Brigham Young University. I have never sensed in the First Presidency a greater determination to see that standards are maintained here. The pressures and pleadings of honest and faithful members who, have their sons and who want their sons and daughters to come to this university is increasing in ever larger, larger numbers, knowing full well that thousands will be turned away because enrollment caps must be met. This only intensifies the need that standards are maintained here as the only fair policy that can or ought to be followed. A few of you who choose to be disobedient can be ready for your privileges at university at Brigham Young University being severed, whether it be one week, one month, or years away from completing your educational goals here at the, this university. There are so many others waiting to take your place who are willing and anxious to abide by all standards for the privilege of attending BYU. My third challenge to you is this. Learn the deep satisfaction which comes from communication with God our Eternal Father through humble prayer and experience the great eternal joy which will fill your soul by being obedient to His will. You and I find yourselves in the final phase of your major preparation for your life's work. What will your journals record about this period of your mortal experience? Will the statement in your journals be similar to the ones contained in the book of Luke? 
regarding the example of our Lord and Savior? Will they indicate that you increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man? God grant that we will have the courage and the discipline to follow the course he's outlined for us, which carries with it the promise of joy in this life and eternal opportunities, experiencing the blessings of eternal life in the world to come. I bear you my solemn witness that God does live. He stands at the head of this church. It is not man-made. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on overcoming adversity by study and by faith. Come follow me, love and marriage, and the prophet Joseph Smith. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.